0: Hi guys, before we get started, I just want to say that I am extremely pleased and excited to announce that South African Expats has got its first sponsor. River Cutting was my first guest. She lives in Perth, Australia, and has done so for a while. And she has both a a community on Facebook and a website called Proudly South African in Perth. So if you go to proudlysouthafricaninperth.com, you will find a lot of help if you're planning on moving to Australia, if you're planning on immigrating there. And specifically, Reva has just launched a cost of living calculator. This includes costs like insurance, pet food, mobile phone costs, groceries, and everything else you can think of. And uh, I think it's going to be a great boon to anyone who wants to plan their immigration, wants to really have have a budget worked out before they actually make their move, which a lot of my guests have told me is the way to do it. You should have a very good idea of how much you're going to need to survive before you move. So that's proudlysouthafricaninperth.com. You can also join Reva's Facebook community of the same name and check out her cost of living in Australia financial calculator. So a big thanks to Reva for supporting the show. And of course, a big thanks to you guys for listening to it. And I hope finding some great value here. And now without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Simon, who moved to Brisbane. Hi guys, before we get started, I just want to say that I am extremely pleased and excited to announce that South African Expats has got its first sponsor. River Cutting was my first guest, she lives in Perth, Australia, and has done so for a while, and she has both a, a community on Facebook and a website called Proudly South African in Perth. So if you go to proudlysouthafricaninperth.com, you will find a lot of help if you're planning on moving to Australia, if you're planning on immigrating there, and specifically Breva has just launched a cost of living calculator. This includes costs like insurance, pet food, mobile phone costs, groceries, and everything else you can think of. And uh, I think it's going to be a great boon to anyone who wants to plan their immigration, wants to really have a wants to have a budget worked out before they actually make their move. Which a lot of my guests have told me is the way to do it. You should have a very good idea of how much you're going to need to survive before you move. So that's proudlysouthafricaninperth.com. You can also join Reva's Facebook community of the same name and check out her cost of living in Australia financial calculator. So a big thanks to Reva for supporting the show. And of course, a big thanks to you guys for listening to it. And uh, I hope finding some great value here. And now without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Simon, who moved to Brisbane. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to South African Expats, the podcast for immigration curious of Africans. Today, we are talking to Simon, who moved to Brisbane, Australia. He actually lived in the UK for uh, 13 years before that, but he's been in Brisbane for four years now. Simon, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's nice to,
0: nice to speak to you. Do you want to talk about the UK as well, or just focus on Australia?
1: Oh, no, we can do the intro. I think the, the move from the UK to Australia is very important because it gives you context. Sure. Um, and all, rather than just Cape Town to Australia, yeah. I think that the differences between there and it was from us where, where the decisions came from. So originally, obviously, grew up in Cape Town, South Africa, did all my tertiary education there, and then moved to the UK in 2004. And all my family are English, except the, my mom was born in Zim, so I had to do the ancestral visa option to get into or to live permanently in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how the uk started it was always a second home i'd been there on numerous trips visiting family over all the years living living back in cape town and so the uk was definitely a choice one work experience to the british passport hunt mm-hmm. which ended up being a 10-year process as opposed to five but that was just <laughs> purely on my my part
0: right <laughs> just a lack of bureaucratic uh, energy i'm guessing
1: exactly well once you've got your indefinite leave to remain otherwise known as permanent residency, there's no uh, dying need to get the passport unless you're wanting to rush home to Cape Town, which uh, for me, I was very happy in London. So it's just like, really don't need to spend the money and (laughs) happy to be a permanent resident for a while.
0: And was your experience in London good?
1: Oh, very much so. I mean, I still believe that sort of anyone in their 20s and 30s and have an opportunity to spend extended periods living in London is uh, highly recommended just because of the... Well, one work experience at such a big city and global city gives you, plus the proximity to Europe and even the East Coast of the US, I think it is a, an imperative part of people's growing up on, on my point,
0: I think. Right. And so you moved there for opportunities. So it was pull factors that drew you to London rather than push factors away from South Africa.
1: Completely. I always knew I had been, well, I worked in the hotel industry for the most of my career and the opportunity to expand your wealth of experience in Europe is is a no-brainer particularly from a, from a culinary and even from a, a service level experience and so for me it was always an option finished hotel school did an honours degree in marketing all in Cape Town mm. um, I always wanted to get a number of years of experience based in Europe London was the obvious choice. So that, that was the reason as opposed to I need to get out of Cape Town.
0: Right. So, I mean, I've chatted to uh, kind of an asset manager or a finance guy, at least, who same kind of thing. Like London is just a totally different playing field when it comes to hotels and the, those two industries, you know.
1: Oh, well, it's I the number one is, well, you've got <clears throat> so many global cities, Hong Kong, Singapore, New York, Paris, and London is up there. And I think London is up there even more so, particularly pre-COVID it's just big i think it's changed so much it's always been a, a big global city but i think it has evolved so much livability is improved and um yeah really really enjoyed my time there
0: so did you have an issue with the the weather was that the main bugbear or were you or do you kind of adapted to that
1: no not at all i mean i think the thing about the like the uk weather is it's not that it's cold it's just that there's a slight lack of light for a number of months uh-huh. of the year. Um, and I think that probably for me was, does get you, get you a little bit, but if I was fortunate that I was traveling consistently. So even though I was based in London, I could have been on a plane anywhere in the world, east of Dubai for up to two weeks, two weeks a month. Most of that, that travel would have been within Europe. So I was looking after a hotel groups, sales offices. And so I spent a lot of time covering Europe, Middle East and Africa as a sales area. And then, lot of my time out in uh, Asian resorts. So for me, I was very personally fortunate that I suppose if I was doing a nine to five in a London office and my ability to travel and get up, out of the uh, slightly wet little island might have been a bit more of a pressure. I think my wife personally, who's Australian, she probably found more of an issue with it because she wasn't getting it getting around as much. Right. Um, right. I do think that like the UK works for 15 degrees all year round In a couple months, it's really cold. And then like two, three weeks, it's really hot. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the time is, uh, you, you kind of get used to it. I, I don't think that, I, I quite enjoyed the weather.
0: Right. And so your wife's Australian, but you met in the UK? Yep.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So I think if you spend enough time in Southwest London, I was based in Putney. Putney Barnes mm-hmm. is, uh, there's a huge Australian, South African, New Zealander community. Um, and so, yeah, we had met out met in Putney and, um, yeah, got married. And so we met in 2007 and married in 2011. And she'd she a lot of the Aussies tend to come home after two years. I managed to keep her there for 10. <laughs> and uh, then the, the, the inevitable move uh, down south was uh, was was on the cards.
0: So was that prompted by having kids?
1: Um, I think I think that's the the one thing which is really interesting is that looking at lifestyle in central London, as I said earlier, sort of for twenties and thirties, is fantastic. I think the, the obvious choice is as soon as you have kids space schooling and lifestyle as as a whole, as a family unit become more important. And that's where Australia and the question came out from. Do we do back to South Africa? Do we come to Australia? Do we move out of central London? And this is the one thing that did prompt our move was the query around Brexit and what the the future for the UK was with Brexit looming. Right. Um that's really what what started off the conversation from our side as opposed to well, we'd had well, my son was born in twenty fifteen and we moved two years later. So we managed to we were in the UK up for two years which i suppose is sometimes the harder time to be without family and friends so it, w- it wasn't the uh, the biggest driving factor it was more just the, uh, the the holistic lifestyle that you that you crave after spending so much time in a big city
0: sure it's so interesting because most people are so focused on the the changes that the pandemic has wrought in the world that they in the uk area at least they fail to think about the changes that brexit wrought and what were some of the reasons that would push you away from the UK because of the Brexit scenario? I mean, what 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 effect would that have on your decision to stay?
1: I think the – look, it was – the UK, as far as the economy is concerned, whether it's in or out of Brexit, the economy still ticks just because of the size of it. There's obviously – you can have huge debates – on where the money went and the huge amount of taxes and shared costs that the European Union charging the UK. Mm -hmm. I think the coming from such a multicultural South Africa, at least that I've grown up in and still as it is today, is I've personally struggled with the concept of this nationalist, well, we want our blue passport back. We don't want the Europeans here. Actually, it hasn't done us any good and we want out. Mm -hmm particularly because it was such a small percentage. If you look at who, where in the UK voted for pro pro or against Brexit, it was definitely a, a geog- geographical and demographical decision. And also it depends on which uh, social media you were reading at the time. And I think that, that for me, without diverging too much, was the most interesting part of the whole process of those so people who voted for Brexit didn't live in the big cities. right? And so it's, for for me, It was definitely well hang on a minute this is changing my perception of the country that i'm living in and and really we were we were starting to go okay hang on a minute this could go slightly pear shapes at least in the in the near future and actually maybe maybe other other shores were a good idea
0: right right so yeah you said your wife's from australia she from brisbane is that what prompted the move to that specific city
1: yeah, so she, she grew up in the Gold Coast, which is the city just south of Brisbane. Mm-hmm. it's within sort of ninety-five, ninety kilometers away, that all her family, sister, brother and mum have moved back up to to Brisbane over the years. So it was definitely the decision the decision to come to Brisbane as opposed to other Australian cities was definitely family drawn mm-hmm. and at least giving it giving a base. I think that's Probably the biggest difference and something that I've realized over time is when you arrive in a city like London, and I think it's also the age of when you do it, if you you come into London when you're in your 20s, potentially a suitcase or a backpack, you're probably in a house share and your points of reference and and community is based on friends you had at home and people who are living there. And it kind of grows very quickly because there's such a large population. Mm-hmm. Of similar like-minded South Africans and Tibetans doing the same, and I suppose even pre-pre Brexit, a lot lot of Europeans doing the same too. Whereas, I think it's not that Australia is not international; it's just that it's a the population size and location from the rest of the world is so different, mm. and that that's one thing that I did realise very quickly
0: right uh, it's it's uh, geographically very far away, obviously in New Zealand even more so, but also within the time zone, it lives in the kind of in the Asian time zones rather than the European and the American time zones, I mean closer to the west coast. do you find that that's simply not being in sync with normal kind of I guess western English speaking culture has an effect on living there? Uh, yeah, I think,
1: look, I think from a culture, yes, I think Australia is definitely has it's interesting it doesn't necessarily have stronger asian cultures it has more more asian culture influence Mm -hmm. in the day-to-day just because of the population groups that are here as opposed to whereas at least in sort of your western cultures you have a lot of your european ties however the original settlers there's large amount of english large amount of italian large amount of greek who had come over the years and settled in Australia. So it's, it's quite interesting. I think that's something which is for me personally kind of evolving into thinking like an Australian. I think that's something which is important to touch on is, and then speaking to friends who had recently moved over from South Africa is actually the culture is incredibly different. And I think South Africans slotting into let's call it a UK or a London lifestyle. The culture is quite similar and coming to Australia, it is very different and very unique on, on, and and then I think a lot of it has to do is one location, two point of reference and three, the size of the population. I mean, Brisbane's only 2.4 million people, two and a half million people, which is not a lot.
0: Yeah. It's about half of Cape Town's greater metropolitan area, I think.
1: That's exactly it, and so from that point of view, it does make it does make a big difference on where your point of reference. A lot of people in the UK in, in Australia would have been to, might have been to New York. They might have been to London, and maybe done one trip unless they were living in London. All over Europe, but that would be it. So your the closest trips would obviously be in the Pacific Islands, Bali, Indonesia, maybe Thailand, and and I think that's it's very interesting living here is kind of w- what the point of reference is across the demographics, because not everyone has traveled as widely as you would have if you'd lived to London. So I think that's the, the, the big difference.
0: I think I should be upfront right now that most of my view of current Australian culture is viewed through the lens of watching MasterChef Australia. So I've <laughs> seen, seen about three or four seasons of that right now. And the the impressions I get is number one, everyone's got a bloody nickname nothing no one no one can just yeah. use the full name of anything I've heard that uh yeah. technically you guys are Brisbaneites, but you're going to be called Brizzies or something like that, right
1: yeah, that's right <laughs> yeah yeah brisbaneites yeah we we we're in Brizzy. that's exactly it so right. it's uh Brizzy Gold Coast is goldie um Melbourne, and then Vic, victoria new south Wales, Sydney. so it's it is the nicknames are big, everything gets shortened if you could put an o on it, so you would definitely be called john yeah as
0: opposed to Jonathan <laughs> <laughs> oh man but I do I mean it's a, obviously it's a weird lens but through watching that show you can see the very strong influence of uh, Indian culture of Asian culture from a number of different countries and like what seeing the I assume that gen- generally that Master Chef Australia is quite representative that they uh, demographically but I don't know do you, if you even watch the show or if this is relevant at all
1: no, it is very much. I, I mean, you know, as being uh, someone from the hotel industry, it's a, a show that I really enjoyed. I, it's, it's interesting. I actually, I really, I potentially enjoyed it more when we were living in London mm-hmm. because it was all so different and, and I was really interested. Living here, probably because I've watched so many seasons of it, it's probably not as, as much interest as probably because I've seen it too many times. Right. But there's definitely, I mean, I think from a from culture, you have lots of Filipino, lots of Chinese, mm-hmm. lots of Japanese, Indian, it's really interesting from the background and obviously your your traditional greek and also italian influences here i think that's it and so it kind of goes back to that question well who is an australian where are they from mm. Lots lot of the your traditional australian would be ex uk from the back way back sort of your your uh, i think it was like 2 pound poms or 5 pound poms that came over on the ships mm-hmm back year and came through and it has evolved from there. And I think it's really interesting is kind of what is the modern Australia? And I think it does definitely depend on which city you live in. and I think that probably the for me coming to Brisbane, which was a family driven decision because it gave us a softer landing because when we look even coming from London, Australia is an expensive city to live in. And in the UK, roughly two to one to the pound. I mean it's obviously not 10 to 1 like it is to the south african rand but it's still it's still an expensive place to start so brisbane was always a no-brainer for where we're going to start however even pre-brexit we've made the decision quite quickly not to do the sydney or melbourne couple of years to start off with purely because we might as well have stayed in london because having having the family and friends of support at least initially um, and then obviously Brexit's happened, or Brexit, should I say? Uh, COVID, has happened, which is put a spanner in the works for everything, anyway. Right?
0: <laughs> can you can you give me your broad view of, I guess, encapsulate the character of Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, like how they differ, how they how they do they have analogies, for example? You know, London is kind of like Sydney, or whatever it might be. And like, what is it makes? I guess the point being, what is it makes Brisbane different and special?
1: Yeah, I think going back to that and to to answer your question it was kind of the decision we had to make so we made the decision to leave london one based on additional family and support for our two-year-old two was a lifestyle as well we we needed we were tired of living in an apartment we wanted to move into a house which in central london is unaffordable and then do you move out to greater london sort of the home counties the decision for us and what makes brisbane special is that it's even though melbourne seems to win it numerous years brisbane is an incredibly livable city and so where we are is the equivalent to the southern suburbs of brisbane it's a 10-minute drive to the cbd maybe a 20-minute drive in rush hour traffic right into the city center you can then be brisbane's not it's on a river and it's not on main beaches but the beaches are within 50 minutes drive away anyway Mm -hmm plus all the islands that are scattered around. They've got beautiful national parks within a 45-minute ferry ride. So without going to the Gold Coast, you've got so much within Brisbane as a city. The big thing, to answer your question, was long, Sydney is obviously not the capital. Canberra is the capital, but is obviously the main city. Is a very special city with the harbour and the way the suburbs are situated. One thing I have found with Sydney is that it is because of the natural harbour getting around and with the population size that there is there at the moment, it is incredibly hard to get around, pretty expensive to get around. And so you tend to do your commute and come back and stay in your suburbs post-work just because. And so whereas Melbourne is much more sprawling, um, I think pace both in Brisbane and so both in Sydney and Melbourne is a lot faster. Brisbane is a slightly slower setup. And I think it has a lot to do with population size. You know, so that, that answered your question.
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, speaking of the river, because the, Brisbane's named after Brisbane River, I assume it's called Brisbane River. That That's great. winds correct. through it, and it's, a very, uh, it's got a very windy, windy path. Do you, how do you get across the river? I mean, like how does that interfere yeah. with life in the, in the city?
1: Well, it's obviously, where do you live north or south of the river, Um, but it's more like west or south. And so uh, it doesn't interfere in the fact that there's a great tunnel network. So if you want to drive, you can either, there's a huge bridge that's built called the Gateway Bridge, which links sort of to where the airport area is north of the river down to the south. And so actually you can bypass Brisbane quite quickly. And I remember here 20 years ago when I was doing a huge amount of travel, we only came into Brisbane for one or two days you can miss Brisbane and drive past it without realizing except for seeing this on the, on the skyline. <laughs> Obviously you can drive through it. And I think that's, which is really interesting. I mean, Brisbane as a city it was only founded in 1824. Right. So if you think in relative terms or back to sort of South African days, it's a relatively young city. And I think that's what's really interesting is it has evolved a lot north of the city, obviously you have your airports and obviously residential areas up towards the Sunshine Coast and south of the cities, the Gold Coast. I think there's probably more of sort of a, a west a west and east divide, but I suppose this, the uh, river runs through there as well. So it's, uh, it is interesting at the moment, there's a huge development going along sort of the South Bank cultural area, which is where a lot of the museums are. And there's a new casino similar to what's built in Singapore with the Marina Sands. It's the uh, Crown Casino that's so the star casino that's going in along the river. So there's, I think that's with Brisbane being, I've seen a huge change in the 10 years that I've been coming backwards and forwards from London, visiting friends and family in Brisbane. And, and I think not that uh, anyone wants to talk about COVID in a positive light, um, but what has happened is, I think there's been an acceleration and a huge internal migration in Australia to not necessarily COVID-free areas, but um, less COVID-affected areas. So, I mean, Brisbane's had very low COVID levels. However, it's had numbers of lockdowns not as long as, as uh, Melbourne. But what it has done, it has made Queensland as a state incredibly enviable for big business in Sydney and Melbourne. And so what a lot of directors and executives have done is be sort of June to December last year, actually rented out their houses or apartments and moved up to Brisbane Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast and worked remotely wow. because it was like, well, I'd much rather work remotely out of lockdown and on the beach um, and use Zoom to run my business. Sure. And so that was happening on a small percentage pre-COVID, but it's happening. I mean, we know close to up to 10 friends who have who were with us in the UK, had moved back earlier, moved as opposed to coming back to Brisbane, they'd moved here a couple of weeks and then went down for for large jobs in Sydney. And they pulled the pin last year and said, well, we're paying huge amounts of money to live here. But because of COVID, it's accelerated our decision to look at lifestyle as opposed to purely work and balance. And so it's really interesting. So there's been the latest stats, excuse me, up to 50,000 interstate migrations just in the last six months wow. um and so that would have been doubled so it's up to a hundred thousand so what has happened is that the property prices have accelerated or the property growth has accelerated in queensland because of the demand from from the southerners from uh, sydney sydney and Melbourneites.
0: right uh, it's a similar situation happening in london right now i when i chatted to hayley Ruiz from uh, carrick wealth she's just moved to london and she says it's kind of eerily quiet and because of the whole remote working thing, a lot of people have moved out into more rural areas. Because why pay the rentals they would in London when they can just uh, work remotely?
1: Well, that's exactly, it. and I think it has. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because you know, a large number of businesses have um, opened the option to remote working. Not that we're post COVID at all, but some of the cities, like Brisbane, cities, opened up again completely. Hmm but people do have the option of working from home or going in into their office. And so for us, it's quite—it's an interesting dynamic to see what the city demographics and and sort of busyness of the city's heart comes back in in, in such a way. I mean, obviously, there's some businesses you would like to do in a big office because of the, particularly from a creative point standpoint, to have that energy. Um, But a lot lot of work which works really well behind a laptop sort of siloed. But it definitely has changed well, it has sped up the growth and demand for Brisbane and Southeast Queensland? We feel very fortunate um, that we didn't make the decision to move to Sydney and Melbourne for, for more work opportunity as opposed to uh, sort of sticking out here in Brisbane.
0: Right. I mean, even the National Rugby League is moving its final to. To Brisbane, which is coming up pretty soon, I think. and
1: This weekend, yeah. that's exactly it. Brandy, it's a
0: huge thing, right? Well,
1: that's it. I mean, we've had, I mean, so the rugby championship, which all our fellow South Africans would have been watching with their eyes yeah, closed. Yeah, we don't
0: want to talk about that.
1: <laughs> it, we won't talk about that, but that all of those games got moved to Queensland and pretty much for more than six months of this last year, the National Rugby League moved its all their teams into a bubble to be based in Queensland. Right and a lot of the AFL games or Australian football league did the same. And so it has been a a real, so you're talking about a real hub for sport and we've just won the things, the 2032 Olympics is coming to Brisbane Oh yeah, and there's talk of potentially for the rugby world cup as well. So yeah, there's, if you, if you enjoy sun and sport, there's no shortage.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, um, Right, so I just want to reel back for a second. When you moved to the UK, you got an ancestry. You got your passport, then you moved to Brisbane. Is there a link between the UK and Australia that allowed you to move there, or were you on a spousal visa because of your, your wife being Australian?
1: So yeah, for me personally, it was through spousal. So it was a partner visa that I came on. So to, to, to simplify the, the visa discussion, moved to the UK on a working holiday visa, which allowed me to find a job, mm-hmm. I needed to re- go back to South Africa to start my ancestral visa, which had to be done through Pretoria, and then did my ancestral visa, which would have been a five-year process in the UK, back in the UK. And then after that, you get indefinitely to remain, and then you, you can apply for your passport. Right. For me personally, so I left the UK with a British passport mm-hmm. and then moved to Australia um, through my British passport on a partner visa with my wife. Right. It did make it easier coming to Australia because I didn't need to prove English language proficiency with having a British passport. But, and I suppose also the, some of the checks that they do was easier and quicker getting out of the UK than it would be. you need all your police check clearances, and those processes were quite quick and quite streamlined. So I think, yeah, there's probably ex UK coming to Oz was potentially a bit easier, but also because. The way the system works, the Australian immigration process is very detailed, but quite simple. And when I say simple is that the tick box and the anomalies that they allow you are quite finite, which means, whereas in the UK, my personal experience is that there's a lot of spaces which is open to interpretation by the caseworkers, and so that I found the process a lot more frustrating, um, a lot more stressful working Mm -hmm. through the uk immigration process and obviously the size of the population makes it more difficult because it's just a bigger volume for me personally found the australian immigration process a lot easier Um, however i was working with a lawyer um, rather than just a migration agent to do the process even though a partner visa supposed to be pretty simple and i found the process quite streamlined
0: so you actually you actually have worked in australian immigration though right
1: yeah, that's so. Uh, when I when I arrived, I've been running a sales and marketing sort of management consultancy back in the UK, which I um, did for a number of years while I was here. And one of my initial clients was a law firm that had a immigration department, and so I helped them streamline that business as a general manager for a number of months, and actually took them on a roadshow to South Africa, Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Durban over three weeks so i have personal a lot of experience in particularly the south african to australia um, immigration process that's correct
0: right okay so uh when you arrived i I believe your what your son would have been around three years old at this point
1: ah he would have been two
0: that's correct okay so how was that move was that um relatively smooth because he's quite young and wouldn't have noticed much or how how did that how how was that experience
1: yeah i think the time difference initially was hard work just because it takes them a number of probably slightly longer to slot into the new time zone mm-hmm. so there was a couple of uh, sleepless nights from his part sure, <laughs> when yeah. we arrived because the or the, or the nine to ten hour time difference from the uk or even to south africa was a killer i always used to say it takes you 10 days to get over 10 hours mm-hmm. so but he found it because of the not the weather but just because of the space and accessibility took it like a duck to water. We noticed huge incremental changes, which we weren't as obvious to us living back in London. And so, I think from from his point of view, I mean, he's now six. He's been here four years. It's been the best decision whether we were living near family or living in Australia for him personally, mm-hmm. and seen some massive jumps in his his personal development, which we thought would potentially have been harder to achieve. Living slap bang in the middle of central London,
0: and
1: and and the sort of eventual move out to Greater London would have been on the cards. I think that for us and for for expats is quite interesting is that decision based on where do you live for lifestyle versus friends, family, people that you know, and your community becomes more important when kids are involved. And I think that for us, which probably was the biggest driving factor. Mm -hmm coming east coming to to brisbane should be said
0: so would you say that brisbane's a really like a good place to raise kids
1: oh it's phenomenal it's um from from that point of view i think the the area which from our decision we looked at lifestyle health care mm-hmm. education work opportunity weather etc for us brisbane won hands down across the three cities that we were looking at we weren't looking at perth just because it's so far away from the east coast and we i had personal connections and family there but it was always the east coast of australia that we're looking Mm at east coast and for us brisbane won hands down in hindsight it was it is definitely more difficult to find work and just purely because of population size. Sure. And I think moving from central London, I think that's something you take for granted. If you spend so many years, I mean, I was there for 13 years in such a big city with such a fast pace and really endless opportunities if you wanted to go out and get them. And obviously your network, I mean, after five years, your working network is is substantially larger. It's probably taken me longer to slot into the lifestyle here from a working environment because I felt it was so foreign to, to life in London. I think it's probably, it's probably similar to um, to Cape town just in the fact the population size is so much smaller.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So let's talk a little, in a little bit more detail about Brisbane then um, besides the kids, what are some of the best things about living in Brisbane?
1: Um, I think, I mean, we've talked to initially about, the size and population from a negative standpoint, because it's so much smaller, but at least i a point of reference where I've lived. However, it is fantastic to live because everything is accessible from a time. Mm. So, but living back in London that you would always say everything takes an hour, whether you're driving or whether you're on the tube, Right. leave an hour. We're here. You can leave 15, 15, 20 minutes. Right. So. Everyone drives, or most people drive, unless you work in the CBD and struggle to get parking. So there's public transport, which is quick and efficient bus networks, train networks. But I think the the lifestyle in Brisbane is people tend to wake up really early because in summer it's ridiculously hot. So you, How hot? you wouldn't be foreign to see. Oh, so, uh, so I think, I mean, it's now we're now looking at the data 27th of September, it's already 25 degrees. During the day, and that will, and that's already now in September, and that will ramp up to thirty plus pretty soon, um, and humidity right. will, will ramp up as well. So I mean, it does. The difference oh, right. is in peak summer humid. doesn't. It, yeah, well, the even Brisbane. So Brisbane, Sunny Coast, Gold Coast, it's all the So similar sort yeah. of Durban weather, it's high humidity levels. But I think that's the biggest difference initially is getting used to that humidity because the it is a, a massive change, and the for me probably took a little bit of time to get used to is that actually you don't really want to be outside <laughs> from about ten o'clock until three unless you have to in peak summer talking about trying to be in a suit or a shirt or getting getting to and from work it is yeah it is definitely definitely a hotter than <laughs> the UK that is for sure that right. I I. I personally enjoy it. You just work around it in the other way. The main thing is you get up early, get what you need, to get done early. I mean, d- during the summer times, we tend to drive, sort of wake up, get to leave home at six o'clock, get to the beach by seven a.m., and be on the beach until sort of nine thirty, ten, and then get out and go home, <laughs> have have some nice brunch, have breakfast, and uh, and come home for lunchtime. Whereas, I mean, even in South Africa, it would be no, you'd go to Clifton for the day. Yeah. You wouldn't have a problem with that um, whereas here it is uh, yeah it's it's pretty warm
0: <laughs> sorry I interrupted you though you were saying how the the population is actually a positive because everything is within close range any other I imagine the the f- any other um, benefits
1: what do I like about Brisbane it's got the great food culture people are incredibly friendly because it is a regional city as opposed to the, the sort of the two main cities the point of point of reference is that everyone does know everyone and the numbers of schools. Um, and so you can, once you build into the network within Brisbane, it, it does feel very family orientated. And I think the biggest change we found is with my son starting school this year, um, which I suppose happens in anyone's life, lifestyle as as you meet friends and families through school, your network then grows. But we found everyone's been really with open arms through that process. My son plays or a local soccer club and we've really enjoyed that nature of the city is because of its size. The beaches within driving distance are spectacular. The weather is warm but incredible throughout the winter months are, are amazing. And I think from our from our point of view we find the livability of it is, is incredible. Right.
0: And you're within um kind of striking distance of a lot of beautiful nature and even look, I mean it's you probably still have to fly to get up to significant scuba diving and snorkeling and reefs and that kind of stuff though right
1: well yeah i mean the there are some incredible islands close to brisbane so you've got morton island north and south stradbroke island which is in morton bay mm-hmm. which is i mean a lot of even sort of pre-covid caravans camping boats four by fours particularly in southeast queensland are very much part of the city's dna and you it, Regardless of where people enjoy to go on holiday, those various categories tend to sort of come up into people's lifestyles quite a lot, and so it wouldn't be wouldn't be foreign for for us to jump in the four x four and head up and, and spend the day on the beach, sort of drive onto the sand, set up set up your sort of day camp with gazebos and barbecues for the day, and and from the outdoor lifestyle are spectacular. Yes, if you want to go to the actual Great Barrier, the Southern Barrier Reef. Um, Would be sort of everywhere from the Wood Sundays north, so it's a number of sort of number of hours drive north. Um, However, the accessibility to it is is spectacular. So, I mean, if you enjoy sailing, boating, four by fours, camping, it is yeah, it's definitely the mecca for that. That's for sure.
0: I want to take a quick couple of minutes just to talk about Morton Bay bugs, which show up in MasterChef all the time. And there's some kind of nightmarish cross between a a crayfish and a cockroach. And (laughs) everyone always wants to cook with the damn things and it's terrifying.
1: No, they're, um, yeah, Morton Bay, I I would think they're kind of a a crayfish that's a little bit flatter and smaller, incredibly tasty. Um, Morton Bay bugs obviously got a smaller tail than your average crayfish or lobster, but the meat is superb. And so it's definitely a delicacy. We would uh, go and buy them from the, the local fishmonger slice into the center garlic butter mm-hmm. on a barbecue it's there's nothing better right. the, the the very bug rolls are becoming quite posh and popular which is sort of a, a lovely butter brioche roll with a uh lovely battered uh, morton bay bug deep fried and then popped on a roll with a bit of um it's got a tomato relish and salad, and it's pretty spectacular. Okay, right, right. So
0: I can accept that they're um, that they're delicious, but for me, there's something quintessentially Australian about the fact that they describe them as bugs. There's no attempt to make them sound classy or delicious. Australians will almost like, uh, like uh, aggressively, like name name something disgusting and then eat it. <laughs> Like I, I don't know. There's something. There's <laughs> yes. something in the. For me, it it feels like there's something in the Australian kind of attitude about like pride in being a little bit rough around the edges. Pride in not taking itself too seriously. Uh, am I am I on the mark there at all?
1: Oh look, I think it's the the uh, the sense of humor on it is very simple. Is very very key. And I think the Australian culture is. It's not that you don't take yourself too seriously. It's more about that you uh, you can take a joke. That you can uh, particularly the sort of the Aussies do like to tease. Mm. And when I say tease, it's not like rub each other up the wrong way, but you've got to be able to take a joke. And uh, Aussies have pretty pretty tough skins when it comes to. It. However, I think one thing to note is that even coming from London, obviously I'm still very much a South African and my experience is that South Africans tend to shoot from the hip and say it how it mm-hmm. is. Um, and sort of the airs and graces, um, on, on how things are tend to be missed and maybe. So my personal opinion is that the day to day of being very direct and speaking your mind, Aussies tend to beat around the bush a little bit more and uh, are not as, uh, forthcoming initially at least in the in sort of the close business environment i suppose if you're on a if you're on a building site and they would kind of say it as it is but i think in in, in the working business community i think it, you do have to take mind your words and take a couple of breaths before you speak your mind sure. i think the and that, that comes from the point of reference i think that's probably one of the biggest biggest changes i mean look aussies love to shorten everything and so your service station to become a servo your bottle shop will be a bottle-o. <laughs>
0: that um, seems even more cumbersome than just saying bottle store.
1: Yeah, so it says bottle-o. bottle-o. Yeah, okay, bottle-o. fair enough. Um, exactly, exactly. So it's, uh, and so from that, there are some really fun colloquialisms that you get to, and uh, writer and g'day and how are you doesn't require an answer to say, yes, I'm fine, thanks. It's just how are you? And so I, I think those little nuances are um, are very I find them, I really enjoy them. It's uh, I think that's probably the biggest advice that I would have to anyone thinking about coming to Australia is that people sometimes think it's sort of there's a lack of culture. I think it might be a lack of culture compared to sort of eleven official languages in the melting pot of South Africa. However, the Australian culture is very strong in that they know what they're like and this is what it is, and take it or leave it. And my advice to anyone thinking about moving is to come here yes there are south african communities or english communities where sort of people their point of friends and point of reference are quite quite close but my advice to anyone is try and fit in with the australian mindset as soon as possible stop comparing and it is what it is and if you can change smaller areas that would be my advice, whereas I think it's much easier in London to kind of surround yourselves with like-minded people and friends from home because there were so many of us. I mean, I think in my in our year from school, there were potentially sort of up to 50 to 80 people in London at any given time Jeez. out of a class of 160. Wow. Whereas, whereas I mean, in Brisbane, there's probably not as many, um, obviously large large community in Perth, obviously Sydney and Melbourne as well, but I think that's you, – you're not just one of the – fellow South African travelers. Yes, the population of South Africans, if you notice the recent rugby games are growing and there's definitely a larger larger population group, but you are one of the immigrants, not the main immigrant group, which is really interesting.
0: Right. I guess that when it comes to workplace situations, some of that delicacy might be, I think Brisbane, I've read, has got about 30% of people who live in Brisbane don't come from Brisbane or even from the country. They're not necessarily... It might be immigrants completely, like not first generation, second generation Australian. So, I mean, when you're dealing, same as South Africa, when you're dealing with people from different cultures and creeds and races and all that kind of thing, you know, you do, there is much more kind of diplomacy and tact behind stuff, I guess. Although that said, you're saying South Africans are not known for that. And we come from a a country with 11 languages.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. It's just, I think it's more, just for for me personally, it's, just the way in which you would go about things. I think people are a little bit more sensitive. And I think that's for us, which is really interesting, um, is that you, you kind of tend to like, think about what we do, shoot from the hip and let's go. Whereas I think that for us is, is an interesting, uh, interesting standpoint. The, or one thing we didn't mention earlier. I was going to say is from from Brisbane as a city is just the plethora of good schools and universities is, is spectacular. And I think that's one thing which I probably didn't think about too much when we were looking to come here. But what I what I realised very rapidly is just the the quality of the education is is superb. I mean, we've chosen to to put our son into a state or a government school for junior school. Mm-hmm and then, and then look at options for high school and the quality is I mean they've got a robotic centre, they've got a music department with instruments on on lend. I mean, it's really wow. something which I wouldn't I wouldn't have a, have experienced. And this is just the local state government school with the area which we live in. Yeah. Which obviously does put pressures on certain suburbs and look, we do live in a lovely suburb in Brisbane. We live in an area called Camp Hill, which is on the border of Ku and the schools are fantastic. And we really sort of spoiled with choice on, on what to do and i think that has with people with young families becomes more of a decision
0: uh so simon i'm i just want to be respectful of your time because i know that you have about we've probably got about 10 minutes left together yeah okay so i want to quickly get through a, a, a few things three things number one i want to chat about the worst things about living in in brisbane i want to ask you about buying power and then i want to go through our little quick fire one to ten and you can just do the just give me the number. But let's start with well, what What are some of the issues that you don't necessarily uh, enjoy about Brisbane?
1: I think initially it was just the pace of the city was a lot slower than I was used to. I think also like your cafes would close at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but that's because they've been open since 5 in the morning. Hmm. And, and I struggled from being from such a big city like London when everything is available 24-7 and you can just get it. Here you can't just do 24-hour delivery on something you buy online it's probably three days probably seven and that's because a lot of it would come into Sydney and Melbourne and then be shipped up north so that for me was a big change it's not instantaneous Mm -hmm. and kind of similar to Cape Town you kind of go to work find your feet in the city and obviously the internet helps on where the best places to get things are and I think that for me was something I didn't even anticipate the size of the city is a positive and livability is great but the opportunities depending on which sector you work in are slightly more limited and um, they're not too many head offices based up in brisbane and i think if it if your goal in life is to work in and and live in the fastest paced city i wouldn't come to southeast queensland it's probably akin to cape town's slightly more um, relaxed lifestyles at uh, mortis and nocadag yeah. there's always another time to do something it does take time for people to make decisions Because if they don't know you, they don't trust you, it takes time. Whereas I think bigger cities kind of go, well, on a face value, they'll make a decision a lot quicker. And so I think that for me has taken some time. However, once you relax into it, there's huge benefits to that lifestyle too. Right.
0: It sounds like the uh, whole wake up very early in the morning and you get everything done before it gets super hot is almost like a reverse version of Spain's siesta culture you know, where they come in late, and then they, they also take a break in the afternoon, but they start at 10, and then they have a break, and then they come back, and they work till 10 o'clock at night, or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think that Aussies very much, particularly here, and even as you go further north, it's very much get up early. You you Lots of people were getting up doing exercise, particularly in the coastal towns or cities. Um, it, it You're very accustomed to getting up sort of at uh, five, six in the morning and seeing the entire population out on a bicycle or running or going for a walk or doing yoga. It, it, and it's very much an outdoor lifestyle, right. which for me coming from central London was hugely appreciated in something similar to what we were doing, we do back, back home. And I think that's, there's a lot of initial freedom. And in I mean, something we haven't touched on is that the safety and security of coming here was never a decision on why it wasn't versus South Africa and versus London but it is something you take for granted here and yes obviously with uh, there's been an, with covid and different financial pressures probably a little bit more of sort of house burglaries and kind of people which we have never experienced people would never said probably more prevalent mm-hmm. but nothing that uh, nothing compared to the levels in South Africa and probably I actually had personally more crime in London than I did have in South Africa just because it's, uh, it's such a big city but I think that's for me the livability here which makes perfect sense is that it's super safe it's super clean everything works probably saying it's a little bit sterile and and a little bit boring but it's only as boring as you want to make it up to be right
0: yeah yeah i don't know i've 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 lived in japan and that was super super safe and i never had a problem with sterility myself like i i'm not quite I'm not I'm not fully in understanding with uh, people who say that they like South Africa because of a little bit of an edge of danger and stuff. Maybe it's something I would miss if I wasn't a 24-year-old in Japan. If I actually moved to somewhere like yeah. Toronto, maybe I would get a little bit bored. But yeah, I'm not one of those people who seek out danger too much.
1: <laughs> no, well, that's it. I mean, it's and it's not even – I mean, look here, if you want – like everyone always teases us here and ours that the large amount of animals want to kill you anyway. Right, sure.
0: The whole country's trying to kill you, so
1: – yeah, I mean, there's there's a a large amount of snakes. There's a large amount of spiders, and even in the CBDs, it's not just out in the bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so from that, you do get you get used to it quite quickly that you're not going to pick up a log and you're probably not going to walk off the main paths unless and, and depending on the time of year and you just got to be safe. But I suppose you have to do similar things in South Africa with locking doors and traffic lights and cars. And so you, you just, you adapt to it quite quickly. I, to be honest, I don't think twice about it, but sure. um, I think probably my, my Aussie wife is probably more concerned about them than I am just purely because she grew up with it and is right, not bad. a fan. <laughs> um,
0: so buying power. Do you feel like your income has grown, I mean, in in uh, in relation to the cost of living? Do you feel like you have more buying power in Australia than South Africa?
1: Yeah, I think so. We've got more, more buying power in Australia versus living in central mm-hmm. London, purely because the property is more affordable. The cost of living sort of public transport is definitely more affordable. Food costs are higher and also the choice of when I mean, you've basically got two supermarkets to choose from, they're much of a muchness. We see LDs, so it's Coles, Woolworths, and then that LD is now new um, European, slightly more supermarket orientated. Um, it's a little bit less expensive, but I think that for us as we found it is expensive. So I think the, the difference is, is that a lot of activities are cheaper or for free. Because you do have the beaches and you have the outdoors and the weather's great. And so if you love an outdoor-oriented lifestyle, yes, Oz is a no-brainer. I think our lifestyle's changed from, and I think that's the difference, is that in London, everything is an effort to do anything. When I say an effort, it mm-hmm. takes time, it is expensive, and but you do make an effort to do it because that's why you're sure. living there. Whereas here, it's probably a similar to, to a South African lifestyle so is actually will, a lot of what you like doing is free. And so I think that's that's been the difference as we obviously live in a three bedroom house on a sort of a 650 square meter block of land with a, with a nice view and bush and surroundings and we in a city. That's just unheard of in, in the larger cities, particularly Sydney and Melbourne or even even sure. back in London. And So I think the affordability of livability here makes a huge, right. huge plus.
0: Okay. Uh, well, let's uh, wrap up then with a quick fire round of rating your new home from 1 to 10 in the following quality of life categories. Because I think we're running out of time here, well, I'm just going to ask you for the number, if that's okay. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. So uh, number one, healthcare. 10. Education. Ten. Work opportunity. Seven. Weather. Eight. Social activity, uh, or arts and arts and culture, let's say.
1: In Brisbane, eight.
0: Uh, restaurants and food. Eight. And opportunity to travel internationally.
1: Currently zero, <laughs> as in our borders have been closed since March last year, 2020. But the ability to travel to, to Asia is, and a short answer is 10. Mm-hmm. The caveat and the big bracket for that is the ability to travel around Australia is spectacular once our, our domestic borders are open. And so I would give opportunities to travel a, a good fat eight.
0: <laughs> oh, do you guys not even have uh, interprovincial travel right now? No, it's closed off. Wow. Oh, geez. I, I forget that you guys are actually going through quite a hectic COVID times right now. Well,
1: yeah, it's hectic in the fact that we haven't had pressures from COVID. And so I think the, the biggest pressures from COVID is that we have obviously a growing vaccine level. However, it was very slow to start this year. Um, and we'll leave the reasons whether it was lack of supply or, or lack of government now to get supply. But we were sitting at sort of 9 and 10% vaccine levels two and a half months ago, which is bonkers for such a large city, um, such a large country. Mm. And so, and but now we're sitting at Close to fifty-five, sixty percent. So the new levels is that interstate travel, as in domestic travel around Australia, should resume because we work on a state-based system mm-hmm. and a federal system, which means the individual states are in charge of their own.
0: Okay, a bit like American
1: healthcare. Exactly identical in the fact that you have premiers versus governors. And then the states are in charge of how they manage their own COVID levels as opposed to the NHS, the UK, or or national system back in South Africa. And so the government has very little power to change how each state. So, for example, Queensland has its borders closed to New South Wales, not the other way around, as opposed to a mutually decided border closure. And so it is. It does become a little bit political, <laughs> as opposed to the Western Western Cape has decided that people. So it actually means that I'm a Queenslander and I'm very proud of it, um, as opposed to in, from New South Wales or Victorian, because they all have their own premiers, their own COVID levels, and their own COVID strategies. Even though we're supposed to be working on a national plan, and so I think that definitely changes the mindset. Wow. <laughs> so hopefully, so at the moment they're talking about um, Queensland possibly won't have its borders open to Victorians and New South Wales in time for Christmas for people to visit their families because we have zero COVID in Queensland mm-hmm. um, where they have over a 1,000 cases a day in Sydney and I think close to 800 cases a day in Melbourne. And so they say, well, even though we might get to 80% pop a vaccine on double dose, we really don't need COVID here for Christmas so we might not open our borders. It's far. hectic. So it does, yeah, so it's, it does, they do... Uh, the mindsets do differ from state to state. It's very interesting. And in between which political party runs your state.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, the level of the, the the relative levels of COVID infections are all very interesting because you guys are pulling rookie numbers. I mean, we were clocking 25,000 cases a day at one point. And, um, oh, even higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So it's, um,
1: well, we've got, yeah, we had, I mean, we shut down the entire state of Queensland for seven cases
0: yeah. in August. Yeah that's hectic so but that's
1: it i mean there's a lot to discuss on, on the whole benefits of covid zero but um covid zero is, is a fantasy and uh you just need to vaccinate as quickly as possible and try and get to a post post vaccinated population i mean i've got friends from south africa who are traveling around europe at the moment on holiday yeah because they're double dosed and the borders are open and it's it's back to a relatively normalcy um whereas here it's uh it's very different. Totally. <laughs>
0: Well, Simon, thank you so much for your time, mate. I really appreciate the insight into Brisbane. It sounds like an amazing city to live in and not one that I guess people consider as readily as they do Melbourne and and, and Sydney. So um, yeah, thanks so much for for sharing what you know about the city with us. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Cool. And uh, yeah, I will uh, hope to catch up with you soon, mate. Good luck with uh, the rugby if you give a crap about that and uh, enjoy the fireworks display that's also coming up and uh, and good luck with...
1: Well, we've just had, we had it last weekend. Yeah. We had, uh, we had river fire was spectacular. So we have a, it's a festival of Brisbane that happens once a year, um, and have sort of a, a 45 minute fireworks display. Yeah. It's, it was, it was amazing that we had lots of sport on at the same time. So it was a, a big, a big festival weekend. Right. That was for right.
0: sure. Right. awesome. Well, thanks very much, dude. And have a great day. No worries
1: at all. Thank you.
0: South African Expats is produced by Jonathan Vanka and brought to you by Ping Productions. Hi guys, I don't normally run ads on this show, but this is the family business. Luggagewarehouse.co.za My dad, my brother, my stepbrother, my uncle have all worked for Luggage Warehouse directly and I've done freelance brand strategy for them for years now. So it supports the whole family. It supports the show indirectly. So if you're looking for luggage, accessories, uh, handbags and fashion stuff, even you can go to luggagewarehouse.co.za. And there are two products that I want to pull out for you here. Number one being Builder Set, which allows you to create your own combination of large, small, medium check in, hand luggage, all that stuff. And it gives you a discount for each additional bag you buy up to a certain limit, I think. But you can get great discounts on big collections of big luggage. So if you're thinking of immigrating, it's the perfect way to kind of gear up for that. And the second thing I want to pull out is luggage glove, which is a protective sleeve that my dad invented. My brother has kind of perfected over the years. It's a thick 3D fabric mesh sleeve that pulls over your, um, over your luggage and then locks closed. It's got a TSA lock. It's got holes for the handles, so it's quite convenient. It's not like single-use plastic wraps because you don't have to Cut open a hole in the plastic to use the handle. You can take it off easily. It's got a combination lock and it's much more sustainable because you're not just murdering turtles with single use plastic. Uh, But it makes the bag much more difficult to get into and it protects it from bumps and scrapes. And if you are emigrating, then those are two important things because you might be carrying actual valuables in your check in luggage. And because they're going to be heavy and you might be going a long distance, they can pick up some major damage. So luggage gloves uh, do a great job of protecting your luggage in the long term. That's it for my pitch, luggagewayhouse.co.za, there's a link in the show notes.